Hey everyone, I'm so grateful to be with you all today. Uh, I'm excited to share with you what kind of is going on in my world. And, and honestly, <clears throat> something that I would talk with you about, um, and not every, not every sermon I do is like this, but this is one that if we sat down and had coffee right now, I would get out a napkin or something and this is what we would talk about. The, and the reason is, is because I've had several conversations with several of you um, and this is the, where the conversation goes. So this is why this sermon is here today because I've had individual conversations and I think, you know what, instead of uh, uh, having uh, 2,000 conversations, I'll go ahead and just try to talk to everyone about this at one time. Is that okay? That's fine, right? Why not? Um, maybe when you come to church, you don't view what happens in here as something that is supposed to be helpful for your faith. Maybe it's just something to encourage you. Maybe it's something uh, of a spectator situation where you're just trying to figure something out and watch from a distance. Um, But the journey that you're on as a follower of Christ should be one of constant instruction and challenge and change and transformation. And so it's not an easy journey to go on as we all follow Christ together. So I hope that as you are watching or as you're here, that it's not just something you're kind of hoping to take one simple note of, but to actually see God do something transformative in your life. And that's what I believe uh, is supposed to happen as we gather together in the name of Jesus. When I was uh, just out of my, uh, my undergrad, I had an opportunity to go to Argentina on a mission trip for several weeks. And it was a great opportunity. It was unbelievable. I ate, I ate more beef than you can ever imagine. That's like the beef capital of the world. So, I mean, it is all natural grass-fed beef. And I am not kidding you. In one setting, I had four New York strips. And they were like, it was like butter. And I felt great afterwards. I was like, oh, well, this is healthy. This is healthy. So for all you vegetarians out there, don't move to Argentina. Um, There's beef galore. And uh, when we were down there, we learned real quick that there were two soccer teams right outside of um, uh, the city that we were in that was like, they were major soccer teams, huge soccer teams, kind of like the scale of the stadium, 60,000, 70,000 people, and they were proximate. They were within like 10 to 20 miles of each other, and they were rivals, and it was the Boca Juniors and the River, the Boca Junior, Juniors and the River, and you knew really quick whenever you engaged with someone in the city uh, what team they were for. So as soon as you would see what they were saying or what they were wearing or what they cheered for or what they responded to, you were like, oh, they're for the river. And then if you asked someone where they're from, if they were from the city close to where this team was, you knew that they were gonna cheer for the river. It was just so easy. It was like, they were, it was so potent, the rivalry. It was literally like, like having Ohio State and the team up north be in, you know, it's like downtown Arlington is Ohio State and uh, the team up north is just an Ontangy. That's how close it was. And so that type of rivalry, that close, and everywhere you went in the city, you could feel it, and it was crystal clear. It was like, whoa. It was easy to understand. They're from that town, so that's why they like that team. They're from that town, and that's why they like that team. And it's not unlike the way things are in the world we live in. If you're from Columbus, everyone assumes you like the Buckeyes. And if you're not from here, you know, you, you ask where they're from. If you ask someone 
Where'd you grow up? And they say Alabama. You assume that they like the Crimson Tide. You just, you just assume it because when you understand where someone's from, you understand what team they like. And that makes a lot of sense with sports. And that make a, uh, it makes a lot of sense um, in terms of certain weather patterns or whatever. If you're from the beach, you like the beach, whatever it is. But for some reason, it doesn't make sense or it's not easy to understand as it pertains to people's opinions. It's easy for us to go, well, I know where they're from. And so I know what they think, what team they like. If they're from Ohio, they like the Buckeyes. If they're from Cincinnati, they like the Bengals. But for some reason, we struggle when we hear someone's opinion. It's like we have no idea where they're coming from. We just think, oh, they said that. That makes no sense. I disagree with it. And I just want to throw it all out. But really, what needs to happen with opinions is the same thing that happens with teams. You want to understand why someone is the way they are? Understand where they're coming from. You want to understand the why, why people think the way they think? Do the work to understand the world that they came from so you can understand why they're cheering for whatever it is that they're cheering. This is easy with teams. It's difficult with opinions. Opinions are a big deal. You know, you hear lots of people talk about, you know, opinions. Opinions are like, you know what, everybody has one and they stink. But they are a big deal, and uh, they're especially a big deal on social media right now. And just a clarifying point, which I think is important to say, opinions are not action on Twitter. Just because you say something doesn't mean it's activism. Having an account doesn't mean you're active. And it doesn't mean what people say doesn't matter. What people say matters a lot. But just because you have an opinion, that doesn't mean you're an activist. Saying something about something alone doesn't mean that you represent whatever cause you're speaking about. It's a dangerous thing in the world that we live in today because you watch people on Twitter, they say something, and that's kind of like the whole equity of what it means to stand for something. I'm sorry, just tweeting about something doesn't mean you stand for it. There's a lot more to it, but interactions matter. They matter a lot, how we talk, what we say, our opinions. Opinions are a big deal. What people say uh, affects what people think, how they talk, how they, how they respond. Someone's ideas or thoughts can be provocative. They can move someone. They can actually spark action. They can cause reaction. And honestly, the whole arena of opinions is what I want to talk about today because we're having so much trouble in the world with how people's opinions are so varying that I want to give us some insight into how I think we need to handle it better, especially as followers of Christ. Everybody has an opinion. There's an old Jewish joke that says, if you've got two rabbis, you've got three opinions. And obviously the church is the same way. Isn't that true? I mean, you got, you got two people, you got four opinions. You got 10 people, you got 25 opinions. You know, you got one person, you got four opinions. There's just opinions all over the place. And obviously, I think we need less opinions and more obsession with doing good. Can I get a holler holler on that one? We need less opinions. We don't just need to spread our opinion. How about be obsessed with doing something that makes a difference? And how about it's not as powerful to broadcast your opinion across the world as it is to walk across the yard to your neighbor and do something helpful for them? You see, we've leaned so heavily on opinions that we actually think it is what the equity of the world is consisting of. And it's not. It's not. 
It's power. We do need to understand where people are coming from. And I think this will help us in our interactions as it pertains to what people say and what people have opinions about. Um, when we understand people, we're taking a stand for people. When we understand people, we're taking a stand for people. Now, of course, physical and sacrificial love and protection um, uh, is synonymous with love. And, and, and you actually, you have to take a stand for certain things. And there are times when you stand and you protect and you do something and you give your life. And that's a big deal. And that means standing for people, standing for the weak, standing for children, standing for people who are in need, helping the elderly, helping the sick among us. Those are big things to take a stand for. They absolutely are. But what I'm calling us to today is maybe the one step underneath that that lives out on social media. And that is to move into the world of taking a stand to understand instead of making a stand to be understood. When you make a stand for something, like you actually lay down your life for it, you need to be very careful what that is. You need to be very careful what you choose to give your life, give your time, give your tithe, give your energy to, give your, your flesh and blood to. It's important that you give it to something, and I think you should give it to the cause of Christ and the pieces of the cause of Christ and the kingdom of God. But understand that Jesus gave his life for others. What I see right now is a lot of people taking a stand, albeit almost in, in, in kind of a, in a, you know, in a, like a, a, a very weak stand for themselves and their opinions. So it's important to take a stand, but the filter of taking a stand, make sure you take a stand for something that is worth taking a stand for. And when you are uh, looking at that, make sure it's about others, Jesus has uh, strong opinions, knows all the truth, and decided to lay down his life, not for his opinion, but for the likes of others. Understanding where people are coming from is a hallmark of what it means to be a strong Christian member of society. It actually shows a measure of heavenly wisdom when people take the time to get inside of someone else's world and understand why they cheer for what they cheer for and where they're coming from. Proverbs says this, a fool, this is a book in the scriptures that is all about wisdom and understanding the way the world works. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding. A fool. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. I see a lot of fools not interested in understanding anyone else's perspective but just broadcasting their own junk to the world. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding. Whoa. If your whole world is just, I have something to say, I have an opinion, I'm gonna put it out there, and that's what it's all about, the Bible calls you a fool. 
Whoever, uh, this is Proverbs 17, 27. The other one was 18, 2. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. I'm calling us today to a place of understanding. What am I for? I've done messages before on what I'm for. I want to be known for what I'm for, not what I'm against. There's a lot of stuff that I'm against, and you need to be against certain things. And you need to be for lots of things that are important. But ultimately, what is your life about? You know, if they were going to stand up at your funeral, what would they say? This person lived for one word, fill it in, what was it? My goal and agenda, and I am failing all the time, I'm growing all the time, I'm learning all the time, I'm figuring out new ways all the time, and certainly have not got it all figured out by any stretch of the imagination. My goal, my agenda is people. Not my opinion, not people's opinions, not being right, not proving right, but actually making sure, despite right, despite opinions, that people feel loved and know they're loved by God. That's my agenda. That's, that's Joel Kovacs. That's, I want to be able to transcend any person's opinion, perspective, whatever city they come from, whatever perspective they come from, whatever thing they cheer for, and be able to look right through that and say, I care about that person because I'm a people person. I have positions, I have passions, I have politics, and I have principles, but loving people is number one for me. I'm not telling you to become anemic in your stance on certain things. I'm telling you that I think the highest calling is a level of favor towards individuals and where they come from and understanding them that can only be manifested in humans through the presence of God in heaven. Jesus was known for the love of people. His whole agenda was people. It was just people. He just cared about people. He talked to people who were religious leaders. He talked to people who were scandalous. He talked to people who were thieves. He talked to people who were sick. He talked to people who were fishermen. He talked to women. He talked to, to children. He talked to everybody. He was just known for people. You could not sit with Jesus and, and say, well, he's only for these people and not for these people because then one day he'd go somewhere else. He'd go somewhere he wasn't supposed to be just to be with different people. That's a whole story of the woman at the well. He went out of his way to a place he didn't belong to be with someone that no one thought that the God of the universe would want to sit with. Why? What's, what's the common thread? People, fishermen, women, religious leaders, uh, political leaders. He was for people. He cared about people. And he didn't sit there and tell all of his opinions all the time. He didn't sit there and prove them wrong. He showed them how he loved them. Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. In the Christian community, we don't like to call people lost. We think it's degrading. Jesus understood that without him, everyone was lost. They need him. They needed him. He knew who he was. He knew his relationship to God. He knew what he brought. And he said, I'm here because I love them. I came to seek and save the lost. You know who the lost are? All people. He was for people. 
Now, some of you hear that and you might go, well, I'm for the lost people too. You know, those people who are on the left, those people who are on the right. That's not how Jesus saw it. Uh, one of the religious leaders during the time of Christ had a conversation with him in the middle of the night, and it was said by John that this conversation happened. You all know the conversation where John tells of the, story, the interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus in the famous passage, for God so loved the world that what? Whosoever. Jesus was a whosoever lover. All of them. Everybody. Whosoever believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. Jesus' agenda was people. I believe the highest calling is to understand, communicate love and value to all people regardless of their opinions. And I live my life taking a stand to understand. That's how I view it. Does that mean I don't have positions? Does that mean I don't have passions or political ideas? No, it doesn't. It just, not even a close second compared to just looking at a human soul made in the image of God, coming from wherever they're coming from and wanting to know. Even if they think something that's evil or hateful towards me, my heart opens up and cries for those people because I go, the only reason that they feel that way is because someone taught it to them or they're broken or they were hurt. Hurt people hurt people. So man, I wanna be an agent of something different in this person's life. That's the way I see it. You want me to get up here and hold a red banner, a blue banner, a green banner? I'm not going to. I'm holding up a people banner. That's Joel. And it's not perfect. Jesus actually said, this is the banner you need to hold up so people know you're in a relationship with me. In John 13, 35, he says this, by this everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. This is how they know. Love one another. Not correct one another. Not tell everybody your opinion. Love one another. That's how you know. Famous, a famous, a famous English poet, Robert Browning, said, without love, our earth is a tomb. Isn't that true? It's so true. So how do we love each other? Especially as it pertains to understanding, this piece of understanding. I'm gonna look at Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two, verses one through four, I'm gonna read it, and you guys can read along with me. But the little setup to this is that Paul if you don't know about Paul, spend some time looking into Paul. Uh, and uh, he's an author of 13 of these 27 New Testament books. He's commissioned by Jesus to go and share the gospel message, the kingdom of God, with the modern world all the way into Rome. Rome even wanted to get to Spain. And he's in prison when he writes the book of Philippians. So that's the backdrop. You can always remember Joy from a jailhouse, praise from a prison. That's, that's the theme of the book of Philippians because he's in Philippians and he's telling everybody, he says in Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice. Now this is a person who believed that what he was telling people was worth dying for. He actually was so caught in between living in this world and sharing the gospel message of Jesus 
um, with people on earth and going into the space where Jesus was if he were to die. There's a famous passage in the book of Philippians, uh, and in the King James Version, he says this. He says, I'm in a strait betwixt two, longing to both be with God and to be with you. He was so excited about the kingdom of God, he wanted to be with the king. And if he wasn't with the king, he wanted to be with people telling them about the king. And he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Basically, I can't lose. So that's his perspective in prison. I'm in prison, doesn't matter, I care. And one of the themes of the book of Philippians, which is is probably the main theme, is this idea of completion. Completion. Because he says this passage, you may have heard it, he who began a good work and you will complete it. So think about it. He's in prison. Right, He's sitting in prison, and everybody thinks because he's in prison that the message in the kingdom and the movement of the kingdom of God has stopped. And he is there to say, no, it hasn't stopped. God's going to complete it. Whether it's with my death or with my life, whatever it is, God's doing this amazing kingdom thing, and nothing is ever going to stop it. He didn't believe that the movement was dead. And basically, there's confusion about, is Jesus real? If Paul was put in prison, then is it real? And he sends this message to his beloved Philippians, who he cared for deeply, and he tells them that no matter what people have in regards of their opinion about his life and whether it legitimizes the kingdom of God or not, make sure, make sure that the way you love each other is bigger than your opinions. Make sure that it is. So this is what it says. Therefore... If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, listen, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Not, whoa, take people's interests. Well, what if they're wrong? Nope, take them, put them up above yours. Value people's perspective Above your own first. If you want to be a a Christian community and people want to know that even if I'm in jail, that the message of the kingdom is real, the way that you act says everything. Show people that they're not just for Rome or this, that they're for something that just is awesome. It's like, wow, that person cares about me. That's what they're for. Who is going to turn away a person that's for people? When you have met someone who is for you just because of you, it is life-changing. I was on the phone two days ago with my young life leader who came one day, picked me up from school. I was really frustrated. I was having a hard day. And I just sat there and I cussed in his car. Imagine that, a high school kid. I said lots of bad words. I cussed and yelled and was frustrated. And he just looked at me and he said, sorry, man, I love you, man. Just, I love you. And I'm like, I don't care what party this guy is for. This guy loves me. He was for me. That's the kind of person I want to be. So I want to 
draw for you. Heaven forbid. When we talk about understanding people's perspectives, I think we get a little myopic. I think we get a little linear sometimes. So I want to show you just, just the way my mind thinks at times. A lot of times we put people's perspective, and particularly now, we put it like this, don't we? Isn't that right? No, that's not right. See, I don't even care. But you got the right, and then you got the left. Red and blue. And then, of course, you just kind of, you got your moderates, you got your someone's over here, and you got your someone's over here. There's all these different opinions that flow around. We kind of look for where they land. Are they over here? And then we just toss everything we think that goes with that side over there. Are they in the middle? Eh, I need to learn more. Are they over here? I, I, I think that's a dangerous way to view the world. I think we need to stop thinking about right, left. Okay, I think we need to think of it differently. I think we need to, 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 to think of the world more like this and understand that on any particular issue, so just, just, just think of an issue, okay? How do you spell issue? You guys know how bad I am at spelling? I mean, it is scary. My, my team makes fun of me all the time. I look at that, I'm like, I don't even know. That doesn't look right to me. Isn't that weird? It's like, that doesn't look like it's spelled right. Anyway, I'm glad that you guys say it is. But here's the way that uh, I want us to consider trying to learn to understand. We all have a perspective on an issue. And we spend a lot of time telling people our perspective on that issue. And the reality is, is that people aren't typically just right or left, but they have a different perspective on the same issue. It might be like yours, might be really different from yours, might be really close to yours. And my heart in this message is whatever that issue is, and you guys can fill that in, right? You know what it is? Masks. There's one. Do you know how many people have different opinions about masks? I mean, literally, I've talked to four of you, all of, between the four of you, eight different opinions. Eight different opinions on masks. Now, understanding someone's perspective means that instead of you considering your idea, you look like that. You spend your time, instead of first showing the world what you think, you spend time investigating what they think. That's Philippians chapter 2. Consider their interests. Understand where they are coming from. Put their values above yours for a moment. Consider them. Now, it's important to, to note, all of these perspectives, any perspective on a given issue, when you look at someone's perspective, it doesn't mean you're saying it's right. Every single person's position has a level of bias, a level of perspective that, you know, might be skewed. It, it might be naive. It might be ignorant. Some of the perspectives on a particular issue you talk to, they are right. They are like exactly right about the issue. They know all the facts. They know the perspective, and they have the right one. 
So this is not the idea of saying, hey, there's no truth. There's no reality. There's no like actual baseline of right and wrong. That's not what this is. This is your job is people, not the issue. The issue for us is people. So as Christ followers, this is what I've spent my time doing over the past month talking to you. You call me and you go, I want to talk about this issue. This is my opinion about this issue. I want to tell you what the truth is. I know the truth. You know how many people told me they know the truth? The same amount of people that are saying it on Twitter. Everybody thinks they know the truth. And here's what I do. I hear you. I've heard this one. Have you heard this one? How about this one? I heard this one too. You know some people think that and they go, oh, well, that's not what I think. Well, (laughs) there's about 100 different perspectives on that one particular issue. Can we take the time, instead of taking a stand and just demanding that we're right, how about we take the time to understand where people are coming from? I think that Christ's followers aren't supposed to pick up a sword and fight for what they think is right. I think that when Jesus was with Peter in the garden and he picked up the sword to fight to stop Jesus from getting arrested, Jesus told him to put his sword down and said, live by the sword, die by the sword. Let this happen. It's not your job to fight. It's your job to understand. You're not gonna fix it. You need to understand where people are coming from. You, you, you may know the right thing, and you may need to take a stand on a particular issue. And I'm not saying you shouldn't. I will say this. If you're louder about your issue on Twitter than you are with your feet, rethink your tweet. Or don't send it at all. Now, here's the problem. One of the problems that can happen when we do this is, and, and, and this, is, this has happened to me, I spend so much time trying to understand people's perspective. It's like, oh, I want to, I know theirs, and I know theirs, and I know theirs. So my perspective is now this. (laughs) So my perspective is everyone has all these different perspectives, and I want everyone to understand. Don't you understand there's lots of different perspectives? And not everybody understands that. So (laughs) our understanding cannot lead to demanding that people understand us. Just because you're trying to understand someone, that doesn't mean they're going to pay you the same grace. So don't get caught into the idea that, well, because I'm being gracious, I expect the world to be gracious. They won't. We need to be people who understand that people don't understand us. Consider the person's perspective. Move from trying to be interesting to being interested. Move from confrontational to curious. Some of y'all need to write this down forever. Like you need to have the whole mode of your world move into curiosity. Why do they think that? Where are they coming from? A note on friendships. You see, the thing with friends is friends, the, 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 the definition of friendship is kind of mutual appreciation, Right? You, you enjoy the same things, you enjoy the same foods, you laugh at the same things, you, you like the same teams, you like the same drink, whatever it is, you, 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 you're friends. So there's a lot of uh, agreement, there's a lot of, of, of kind of you know, concurrence, everybody's on the same page. 
You laugh with them. You care about them. Um, you don't have to have that many friends to be satisfied with friendship. All you need is a few who are quality friends over lots of friends. You don't need lots of friends. You need to be real with a few friends where you can share your opinions, you can share your ideas, and there's real accountability. And by the way, there won't be real accountability in friendships if you're not authentic and you don't have mutual respect. So once you have real friends, that's the place you can share maybe some of your, your thoughts, your opinions in safety where you're gonna be held accountable. But you don't need many of those. And those need to be private. You don't need to go create a whole friendship network on an issue that ultimately picks some issue over people, and that's all that people feel. All they are trying to do is say this, say this, say this, do this, do this. Few friends, quality over quantity with friendships. But with neighbors, we're supposed to be friendly. You're supposed to take the way you respect and love and cherish your friends and translate that into the people you're not that close of friends with. We're supposed to care for people. People are supposed to, when they interact with us, feel like we're better friends than we are. Not that it's inauthentic or disingenuous, but that there's a level of genuine care and concern. Concern. You need to... Communicate with your neighbors that you understand them. Here is a key to having a conversation with someone that you disagree with. Your job is to understand their perspective. So here's how you keep that conversation friendly. You look at them. You say their name. You know their name. And you say, I understand what you're saying. I understand it. You know how that diffuses conflict? People just want to be understood. They want to know that you hear them. They want to know that you care. They want to know. It's our job to go, I understand you. Understanding someone doesn't mean that you agree with them. You know how many times I've told someone I understand them? It sounds a little slick and political. I understand you. Tell me what you think. I'm not going to get into that with everybody. Because my goal is that you feel understood. People matter regardless of their opinions or positions or platforms. Opposite opinions don't matter compared to how you live. Opinions don't equal love, but behavior does. Food for thought. Telling people they are bad people because you don't think they're being loving is not a loving thing to do. <laughs> you're a bad person. Now you, you suddenly think that makes you Christian? Jesus is standing before Pilate. You are a bad man. He didn't say that. I'm gonna read that again. Telling people they are bad people because you don't think they're being loving is not a loving thing to do. Does this mean don't have a voice? Does this mean don't stand up for justice? No, it means that Christians are different, unique creatures who value humanity and perspective. Whenever someone takes something seriously, you should take them seriously. 
when someone is worked up about an issue, get worked up because they're worked up. Say, I want to hear. Tell me. Tell me what you think. Tell me your thoughts. You see, when we spend our whole life about our issue and kind of having our own idea in the center of the world, then we're afraid to have a real conversation because like, oh, I don't want to hear because I disagree. And we disagree. Now we can't talk. And I don't know what to say. Well, how about you put your issue to the side and you make them the issue? And you go, tell me. Tell me what you think. I want to know what you think. I want to know all your thoughts. I want to know where you came from. I want to know why you think that. Tell me, tell me, tell me. I want to know. Thinking someone's perspective is stupid doesn't make you smart. It makes you mean-spirited and probably arrogant too. Thinking someone's perspective is stupid. If you have a perspective on something, and as soon as someone has a different one, your attitude or your mind shifts to, that person is stupid, I'm smarter than them, that doesn't make you smart. I used to have this conversation with my parents about certain brothers of mine that were, had higher IQs, but they weren't making good decisions. And I, used, I get caught in this world of like, well, I know they're better on the test, but aren't I smarter? <laughs> I made some better decisions. What is smart? IQ? Knowing the answer on the test? All the studies say now, actually, the most important thing in relational dynamics is not IQ, it's EQ, emotional quotient, understanding where people are coming from and being able to communicate how much you care about them. So as soon as you get this prideful thing, you've, you've not been able to bring the attitude of Christ into the conversation. Here's the thing, and I'll, I'll, I'll shut it down. This type of heart actually is the fertile soil where great conversations can be had and information and learning and growth can take place. Not in the combative fight for the king of the mountain about whatever issue you want to be about. When you start to make understanding people your goal you move into conversations and into places with people where you will learn things you've never learned, where maybe their perspective is more informed than yours, and because of what they say, you learn some more truth, and your naivety turns into an actual clarity, and your ignorance turns into informed because you started not here, but here. There's really two things that Paul talks about in this passage about how to kind of be the attitude of Christ. And the first one is to consider other people's interests. And then the next part in the passage, I, I suggest you go read it, is the famous passage where Jesus says, have, or Paul says about Jesus, have the mind of Jesus, the attitude of Jesus, who being in the very form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. This is the most, one of the most important passages in the, in the whole Bible. And what Paul is saying is that the first step to bringing Christ into community is to show people you care about them more than you care about all your issues. You care about understanding than, than, than making yourself self understood, taking people's interests and elevating them. The second part is that if you really want a unified Christian Body. So this is for the believers. If you really want us all to be on the same page, if we really want to come together, stay together, and be together, no matter what the issues are that pull us in different directions, take 
any issue. And from now on, move it out of the circle and only put, only put Jesus in the center of your life. Move Jesus to the center of the circle. Not as it pertains to issues, as it pertains to what is your most important goal in life. Put Jesus in the center. The way in which Jesus dies for us is the way in which we're supposed to live for one another. He gives up his life. And so what happens is in Christian community, there's so much we can disagree upon, but if we constantly keep our focus on Jesus, on who he is, on worshiping him, on studying him, on being led by him, if we are constantly focused on the scriptures and looking at the person of Jesus, this is what transforms community. This is what turns us into the kind of people he just told us to be. Just make it all about Jesus. You put your opinions beside, to the side and you just put Jesus in the center of your life. Now, G- Jesus uh, being in the center of our life is something that we say that we do. Paul was living this out. It's actually believed that while Paul was in prison that there was a faction of people out there who were going around on the streets while he was in prison and telling everybody that this guy was in prison because he was telling everyone that this Jewish man who died on a Roman cross rose from the dead and is now the king over the emperor. And they were going around preaching that message, mocking the story, like mocking it, making fun of it. Like, the guy Paul, he's in prison. He's going down for a king that died on a cross. They think it's a Jewish man from the middle of nowhere. They think he's the king. And they were making fun of him. And because of that, the potency of following the kingdom of God was getting diluted by these kind of people making fun of the message. Paul says later in this book, I don't really care if they're making fun of my message. I don't really care if they're twisting it. As long as people are saying in any way, shape, or form, Jesus is Lord, God's gonna use it. He literally, there is a, there's almost like a tip of the hat to the story of Joseph who, who got thrown into prison and then ultimately became one of the rulers of Egypt in the Old Testament. It's the tip of the cap. What the enemy meant for evil, God can make it for good. So what I do is I just go ahead and I put Jesus in the center and I just want Jesus to be my focus and I just want to know about him and I want to talk about him and I just want to turn it all back to Jesus and even if they're making fun of me and they come knock on the door, hey, and the reporter shows up, uh, they're saying that Jesus isn't real. Yeah, well, he is real and I met him. Thanks for coming and talking to me. Now go print that. I'm taking a stand to understand. We're supposed to be known for the way we love each other. Could I encourage all of you, as the world we live in continues to spin out of any type of normalcy that we've been used to, could we be the peculiar type of people who simply take kind of an awkward, almost unprecedented interest in the people around us? Could you wake up every single day And instead of saying, I'm going to tell them, think, I want to learn where someone's coming from today. I want to hear something. I want to show them that I understand. Let's pray for a minute. Father, thank you so much 
that you've done this work that's transformative. It, it is transformative. So hard sometimes to know what the goal is, to know what the point is, to know where we should put our energies and our time. But God, you made it so clear. You know everything, have all power, and yet you made people, your image bearers who are broken because of sin and death. You made us your number one concern. Help us to make others our number one concern. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, that's a good message. Um, one thing that I noticed is when I stop trying to make other people feel like my opinions are right, my mental health became a lot better. I have family members that get so frustrated when somebody doesn't have the same opinion as them. I'm like, just calm down. People are going to have different opinions. So nice to just let people have their opinions and understand that. it's Man, it's really good for you. Joel talked about love, and I'll say this real quick. Um, recently, the past few years, I've had the chance to start speaking at high schools and middle schools. And obviously, one of the things I talk about is uh, the bully ep epidemic that's going on. And I'm telling you, every after every school I talk to, uh, some students will come down to say, hey, but there's always three or four students standing off by themselves, just patiently waiting for kids to go away. And they'll go away, and the student will come up to me and goes, I'm that outcast you talked about here. I'm the one that nobody, for some reason, people just don't like me. And it crushes me. It hurts. And so I, I bring that up because he talks about loving people, and I think it starts early. We need to teach our kids to love people, um, and, and sometimes that's tough, but that's something we need to do, and it's kind of a terrible segue, but a good segue. Uh, we've got kids camp coming up, and that's one thing we're going to talk about is loving people, and uh, that happens in just a week from Tuesday kids camp. So if you have kids and you want to get them here, we would love to uh, have them. If you know people who have kids and maybe they've talked about how their church isn't having a VBS, tell them we have kids camp here and we'd love to have them come out. So get registered at 514church.com. That and we would love to meet you if you're new right outside here. I mentioned this earlier, right outside the wall that says we are the light. Come out and say hi. If you, if you don't want to say hi to us, we have a number that you can text right there. Just text hi. We just want to we just want to meet you. We love, that's why we're here, because we would love to meet new people. Um, the dance, comp, the, new, the, new, uh, the new person dance competition will take place right outside. I'm kidding. That's not going to happen, so please show up. Why would I say that and scare people away after I ask you to come out? Guys, we absolutely love you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.